This week's episode is brought to you by the CommuniCore Weekly Web Store. Just go to CommuniCoreWeekly.com, click on the store button, and you can buy any little thing your CommuniCore cadet heart desires, like shirts and more shirts and some more shirts on that. So again, CommuniCoreWeekly.com, click on the store, buy some stuff. Welcome to Season 3! Hello, and welcome to CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. How you guys doing today? We're doing good. How you doing, George? Well, I thought that was rhetorical at first. Well, I guess it has to be because, I mean, they can't really answer. I mean, we well, go they, through this conversation all the time. They can't answer. I know they can't answer. I mean, they could call the goat line. They could call the goat line and let us know how they're doing. You know, you know, four two four seven eight five goat. That one. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. four two four seven eight five goat. I'm so glad you remember that off the top of your head because I never do. <laughs> Ever. Well, I didn't. I didn't get it until I, I started saying it a lot. Oh, see, it must be so, a repetition, repetition, so, repetition. So everybody listening in their car or while they're jogging or walking their dog, it's four two four seven eight five goat. Now, say, it, say it out loud. There's no, be... there's no G or O or A or T button. You have to find the corresponding oh. letter on your what, telephone that's so device. It's easier to find that. Well, does my iPhone have those on it? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, your iPhone has you know, a keyboard, so like, you can type it out. Oh, it does, yeah. Oh. yeah. Uh, no, it does not going to work either. That's not going to work oh. either. Should we, okay. we move on with the rest of the show? We should probably move on. Yeah, probably should. The rest of the show. I'm still jumping We took a trip, and this is our trip. Now, since I'm living in California, I'm doing all sorts of cool stuff because this past weekend, I went to Tiki Oasis 2014. I know you're Tiki Oasis. Tiki Oasis. I thought it was Dean Oasis. No, no, but we will get into that part. Ah, So for those of you who don't know, Tiki Oasis (laughs) is a three and a half day Tiki celebration extravaganza down in San San Diego. And (laughs) uh, it was awesome. (laughs) I only, George is laughing at the Anchorman reference. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I only went on Saturday for the one day because Rolly and I, we went to sign books and he gave a presentation, which was great. Um, but I decided in that one day that next year I'm going to go back for the entire time because it was just so cool. It's wow. like, it's it's a way of life for these people. It's not just like a weekend thing. Like this is how they live their lives in the tiki culture. They live culture. the life the tiki way. Yes, exactly. I mean... Well, you know, we probably should have had a disclaimer at the beginning of the show for everybody to put on their steel-toed boots. Yeah, and maybe their fezes, too, because I saw no, no, a lot no, of them. No, just the steel-toed boots because of all the name-dropping, apparently, oh. that you're going to be doing. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse <sighs> me. Excuse <laughs> me, George. This guy. You know, know. sometimes... It's a little bit of jealousy, that's all. Well, I mean, next year you should totally come. Um, and here's why. <laughs> Let me tell you why Tiki Oasis was awesome. Okay, 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 please. So, again, for those of you who are fans of the Enchanted Tiki Room, this is like the Enchanted Tiki Room on, like, 17 doses of steroids. Um, <laughs> the hotel used to be a, a Hawaiian-themed hotel before it was taken over by a major corporation, but it kept a lot of its uh, 
uh, tiki theming, and it fits perfectly for this uh, convention. Um, I guess that's the best word for it. But they have tiki-themed uh, presentations throughout the entire weekend. They have all these vendors selling tiki-themed stuff. Uh, Shag was there selling a, a bunch of really cool art. Um, wow. Like George mentioned, I did not know this, but for those <laughs> of you who went on the Communitor, Dean is a very accomplished tiki uh, artist in a lot of ways. He was actually selling Christmas ornaments uh, designed over tiki masks that he that he designed. And he told me that a lot of the nights that he wasn't hanging out with us during the community tour, he was back in his room actually making these ornaments of tiki masks, <laughs> which I thought was really cool. That um, is. I, I thought they were just running around making the orange power paddles. No, no. Dean was actually doing work for this kind of thing, which I, I seriously, it was cool. I mean, Dean was great, and so was Natalia, obviously, but it was mm-hmm. awesome to see him embrace this other side as well of things that he, that he loves to do. And it was interesting to see the cross connection because um, his partner in crime for this and who he shared a booth with is actually Sammy Kim's son. Um, oh, wow. Uh, his two sons, I should say, actually. Both of them are very incredible artists. Um, and Marie actually bought a tiki uh, drawing from one of them um, and gave to, to me at the end of the weekend. But, it, I mean, it, it was really cool to see the cross-section of Disney fans and the tiki stuff going on. Oh, sure. Um, and that I, Southern California lifestyle. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was well. great. I mean... Rum drinks abound. I didn't actually have anything to drink, unfortunately, <laughs> because I had to drive back home. But I, I mean, the, just being there in the atmosphere was great. I got to see my my friend Susie, who was taking a ton of pictures um, for all the pinup artists and the burlesque dancers and everything. Which wow. that's a whole that's coming to weekly after dark, kids. <laughs> I didn't get to experience that part because I left at eight o'clock. But next year no, we'll no, talk about that. weekly nights. Nights. Um, yes. But yeah, I mean, it was really, really cool. And well, so, so the, you went to help Rolly with his presentation, right? Yes. So I okay. didn't actually talk. I I, based, I I made the presentation for him, and this theme for uh, Tiki Oasis this year was uh, the Beatnik era. So we oh. talked about the Doper posters and how a lot of his Beatnik posters that he did, and then we segued into the Enchanted Tiki Room. And the room that we did the presentation in, it was like there was no more seats left. There was two people deep standing in the back. I mean, it was super filled up. There was a lot of like big name tiki people in the room watching Rolly's presentation. And Rolly told me at the end that it was his favorite presentation he ever gave just because the audience was so into what he was saying and like they laughed at everything uh, which made him open up and tell a few more stories he doesn't <laughs> usually tell of course and it, it was just really cool because people were coming up to him saying you know you're the reason i got into tiki to begin with and by like the 20th person who said that i'm like this is clearly a, a reoccurring theme of the weekend like a lot of these people got into tiki because of the enchanted tiki room and in turn because of roly so it was really really neat i guess for him to get yeah. that validation that's pretty cool. Um, so, well, you mentioned uh, there were some places you could buy stuff. Yes. So what else could you do during the, the three-and-a-half-day Tiki weekend, Tiki uh, Oasis? Well, the, there was bands that played all weekend as well. The official mm. activities end at 10 o'clock usually, and then the room parties stop, start, and people, like, <laughs> room hop, and, you know, every room turns into a Tiki bar, essentially. Like, th- this is a huge deal for these people, and they're all so nice and open and welcoming, and it was just really cool to be part of this atmosphere for even just a short period of time. So nice. I, I really recommend—I I think it's going to be the weekend after D23 next year, so I think maybe— 
when we're done with D23, you should just stay the extra weekend and we go to Tiki <laughs> Oasis as well. Because why not two birds with one stone, right? Mm, uh, yes, yes. I mean, two tiki can, birds with one stone. Yes, Tiki birds with one stone. Yes. Um, but yeah, if you're in San, San Diego next year uh, for <laughs> Tiki Oasis 2015, totally recommend checking it out if you're into the tiki lifestyle you'll learn a lot of cool stuff learn about tiki history um there was a history of lingerie presentation by the way i missed out on that one i'm very sorry for that um tiki lingerie no no just regular lingerie oh i was like there'd be a lot of splinters in that wouldn't there? it would be well the, the coconut bras maybe I guess not really? question mark i'm not sure it could go either mm. way uh but yeah I would totally recommend checking out Tiki Oasis. So that means you're coming for that one too, George. He's a nerd. He's a, nerd. He's a, geek. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. Ah. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is The American Amusement Park by Dale Samuelson, published in 2001 with 156 pages. So The American Amusement Park is an interesting look at the origins, the development, and the evolution of the American Amusement Park. Uh, Samuelson takes us way back, and we start with the pleasure gardens, the picnic groves, and the world expos that sort of lead us into the modern theme parks of, you know, Disney and Universal. What makes the book interesting is that it predates the explosive growth of Disney-related blogs and podcasts. Ooh, nice sound effect. You're welcome. Next year, we need to put more money into that budget. Yeah, we do. We keep yeah. we keep lacking on that one. A little bit. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah. Exp- I was like, where was I? Explosive growth. That's right. <laughs> um, the sound effect, George. <laughs> it was a sound effect. was the only thing that tied me to it. Okay. So, so you know, the, the book sort of came out before, many, many years before, we had all these other Disney-related blogs and podcasts like this one, which is awesome. And it was one of the few places you could find information on various amusement parks. You know, this is well before every theme park had or amusement park had a web page or a Wikipedia entry. So, you know. Okay, so the book itself is divided into nine chapters and includes a large number of historical and current photos, many from the author's personal collection. And a lot of the early parks, like Luna Park and Coney Island, are uh, represented by postcard images, which is really kind of neat. And it offers more of a, a stylized view of the park, something a little romanticized, maybe. Uh, Samuelson takes us back to the early parks of the East Coast, you know, where they started, they were just large pools or picnic grove areas. And uh, they eventually added smaller amusements to their park to keep people coming back. And throughout the remaining chapters of the book, Samuelson focuses on major parks and how they changed and changed the amusement landscape itself. So uh, the next major evolution and chapter was dedicated or is dedicated to Coney Island which introduced a lot of modern rides like coasters and shoot the shoots. Uh, We also learn about the various dreamlands, Luna parks and Coney Island copycats all over America. Uh, If you had a pretty industrialized town, you probably had a Coney Island or a Luna park in your era. So you might want to check. Um, uh, Sadly, under my bed. That's why it's good. It it sounds very creepy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you might want to check under your bed. I don't want to go to sleep tonight. There might be a Coney Island in my closet. Coney Island. And, uh, you know, it could catch on fire because that's what happened to almost <laughs> all of them. <laughs> you know, they, they, there's a lot of, oh, this amusement park was great. And then it caught on fire because um, everything was made out of wood at the time. Um, 
And uh, either they caught on fire, as I mentioned, or they didn't quite make it out of the depression. Sadly, the depression killed a lot of the parks itself. Okay, so moving on, the third chapter is all about the boardwalk parks. And we learn about the parks on both coasts, like the boardwalk in Wildwood, New Jersey. Been there. Yep. Yeah, and the Venice Pier in California, which is gone now. But, you know, it's close to the Venice Beach area. Uh, the piers were generally, you know, lost to fires again. Go figure they're on water or city growth. You know, the city didn't like what the pier or the boardwalk had turned into and then changed the development laws, you know, story. OK. And then, you know, uh, Samuelson himself introduces us to classic midway games and dark rides that eventually leave a very indelible imprint on the theme park. Like, you know, we wouldn't have the Animal Kingdom that we know and love today without Midway games is all I'm going to say. You... The Dino Land. Uh, <laughs> Had to sneak that one in there. Uh, um, uh, finish your review. <laughs> yeah, finish the review. Okay, so we learn about, uh, in the fifth chapter, Ferris wheels, carousels, and the tunnels of love. And we see how these rides changed with the times, you know, to offer different experiences. The roller coaster itself is covered in chapter six, and uh, Samuelson talks about how the roller coaster made an incredible comeback in the 70s and started the Great Coaster Wars, of which we're still part of today. You know, a lot of the Great Coasters of the 90s are covered, and it was really sad to see a lot of them that were gone. Chapter 7 and Chapter 8 look at the parks that didn't survive, but still influenced everyone else, and some of the parks that are still going strong today. You know, since the book was published in 2001, some of those parks are actually gone. That he said we're here you know we'll cry a little tear and the final chapter looks at how modern theme parks evolved from amusement parks how they made that step from just a picnic grove or a park or a place with a bunch of flat rides into the modern theme parks like the magic kingdom and universal studios that sort of thing it, it really is a fascinating book i really enjoyed it uh, made me question a few things that i thought i knew about amusement park histories and the development of theme parks um, sent me in other areas for research, which is always good. And, you know, made Communicore Weekly better. That's always good, right, Jeff? And it's always good it's to make Communicore Weekly better. <laughs> we need to. So, you know, it, it's a book I really liked, and you're probably going to have to find it on the secondhand market since it was published about 13, 14 years ago. But it's well worth it if you have an interest in theme parks. And it does cover a lot of parks and amusement parks that were on the uh, West Coast in California and a lot that were in the Pennsylvania, Ohio New Jersey and New York area as well. There's a lot covered in those areas, since those are the first ones. So it's a great book. If you have an interest in amusement parks, pick it up. It's called The American Amusement Park by Dale Samuelson. If it's a legend that you seek, come on and take a peek at the window of the week. The Human Dynamo Calculating Machine Company. Michael Bagnell, Office Manager, David Schneider, Program Supervisor. Now this window is located at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. Now, Michael Bagnell was the son of George Bagnell, uh, a former member of the Board of Directors. Uh, Michael started in a very low-level position in the Finance Department, but quickly climbed the ranks to become Chief Financial Officer for the Walt Disney Company. And David Schneider, he was the head of DAX, or the Digital Animation Control System, which is the computer system used to control all of the attractions at Walt Disney World. So basically, he was in charge of making sure the attractions work correctly. And if something went wrong, probably his fault. <laughs> I was going to say animatronic heads would roll? Yes. 
basically. Yes. You know, we've covered a lot of windows on this show, and sometimes they come across, and I can't see a reason for two people to be on the same window. You know, there doesn't seem to be anything that ties these two together. But there usually is a story behind how these two are together on windows for mm-hmm. some reason. If mm-hmm. only there was a place where you mm. can read these things and find out the stories behind mm. the windows. That was very mysterious of me. I don't know why I was doing that voice for it. That was I, pretty cool, though. I, I weirded myself out for it. That was pretty cool. I liked it. That would be great if there was a book about all the windows and all the Disney parks across the world. That's right. A book about the windows, about all the Disney parks about the world. Hmm. If only... You know, what would be better if there were only two podcast hosts that that could be any more cryptic about something? I don't know why I'm being cryptic. It's not like I haven't said it on other podcasts before, too. Guys, I'm doing a Main Street (laughs) Windows book, and it's coming soon. And it's going to detail all the window, Main Street windows at all five Magic Kingdom style parks in the entire world. I didn't intend to be, make this the announcement, but the way George <laughs> segued into it there kind of forced me into it. So I'm just going to tell you now. It's called Main Street Windows, and it literally has pictures of every single window at Disneyland at, and Magic Kingdom and a lot of the photos of the other windows throughout the world but there's a biography for each person and it's going to be great and it's going to be coming this fall to bookstores near you we'll have a more official announcement when i have a release date but look for it soon it's going to be the best christmas present ever especially to me (laughs) sometimes you might see it sometimes you don't hey look what's that it's a five-legged goat When you're visiting the Tower of Terror at Disney Hollywood Studios, you'll find a treasure trove of goats in the pre-show room. But the one we want to focus on is actually a note on Hollywood Tower Hotel stationery, and the note reads, Porcelains of Europe, although susceptible to earthquake damage, are an important element in films and attractions of Hollywood. Now what does this note mean? I know, it's crazy, it makes no sense. (laughs) Well, while making the attraction, a lot of time and effort and cost went into the props to theme just those two rooms, the pre-show rooms. One of which was thousands of dollars worth of porcelains from Europe. So the shipment mistakenly arrived at the Imagineering headquarters in Burbank, only to be met with a welcome party of a 6.7 earthquake. The porcelains fell off a shelf, but fortunately no damage occurred. Then the porcelain was shipped off to Florida. During the trip, the packages were dropped, and that's when they were destroyed. They had survived a long trip from Europe to Southern California, earthquakes, but broke just short of their home in Florida. To poke fun at this, the Imagineers left this note in the pre-show rooms to pay homage to those porcelains that never made it into the attraction. The porcelains that did make it into the attractions are actually in the restroom around the corner. So if you just go out and you make a left, you can actually see those porcelains still. Those ones are not from Europe though, just as a heads up, they're not fancy, they're just regular. They're just regular porcelains. They are. So before we end the show, I've been getting, and I'm, I think George has been too, getting a lot mm-hmm. of messages on Twitter and on the email lately that more people are ju- like just recently listening to the musical. And it Yay. occurs to me that maybe some people still think it was a joke, that maybe they thought it was a joke for the season two finale. So we thought we would share our favorite song from the musical. It's actually really short, so it won't take much of your time. But just as a way to let you guys who have not heard it, hear it and maybe enjoy and perhaps purchase the musical. Mm-hmm. So... This is a song I think relates to us as Disney fans quite a bit and how 
uh, it makes us come together as a family in a way, and it helps us find mm -hmm. people. So enjoy Mouse Ears. When I was just a little boy, my daddy left me by the tracks with tears streaming down her face. My mom said, son, he ain't never coming back. So I pulled on my ears a little tighter, made my burden a little bit lighter with my back against the wall. I found out that I was a fighter Cause I grew up wearing mouse ears They helped me through some hard years My head keeps getting bigger But the same pair always fits And by the time I was in high school Wearing mouse ears wasn't so cool At that age, find your place And sometimes the tears were streaming down my face But the ears helped me let someone in I found my identical twin The winds of change, they started to blow And we fired up an online show I'm always wearing mouse ears It got me through some hard years My head keeps getting bigger But the same pair always is Ooh, no, I'm wearing mouse ears I'm always wearing mouse ears My head keeps getting bigger But the same pair I love that song. Me too. <laughs> I, love, I love it. I love all the songs on the musical, but you know, when uh, Andrew came up with that one and him and Steve worked together to record it, it just was perfect. Yes. Totally, if, totally perfect. If Battle for the Magic Kingdom wasn't awesome because we saved the world, this song would be the best song. Yes. Agreed. It's, it's, it's fantastic. So we hope you guys enjoyed it, and you will go out and get your own copy of the musical, which you can get at CD Baby, iTunes, or Amazon, or listen to it for free for Spotify. Heck yeah. On Spotify. Not listen to it for, but on. On, on. Yes, Always on. on. Yes. Yeah. But uh, we just want you guys to experience it and love it as much as we do. Please. So, Please. but uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much for making it to the end of another episode of Communicore Weekly. Yes, please leave us a comment and give us a rating on iTunes. We love to hear what you guys have to say about it. Yes, and you can always email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com and tell us how much you absolutely positively loved hearing mouse ears. Heck yes. And of course, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicoreweekly. We're always having fun on the Facebook page, guys. Always having fun. Always great photos. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, call us on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. I looked at the paper while saying it because I do not remember the phone number like George does. <laughs> Which I only remember that it's 424-785-GOAT. Yes, fair That's, enough. I have to ring it that way. So, But um, just don't forget to pick up your copy of the musical soon, please. Yes, We'd love you to listen to it. And again, Communicore Weekly web store at communicorewiki.com. Click on the store link. Get some cool shirts. I've seen a lot of people get uh, logo shirts and ghost whistle shirts lately. Thank you, guys. I'm glad you're enjoying yeah. them and wearing them to the parks. That makes That's me what I say. Good. We've seen great photos of them from the parks. Heck yes. It's wonderful. So tweet us or Facebook us your photos when you're in the parks wearing Communicore Weekly gear. Please do. Yes. Okay, so for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show.
digits. 